Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome and thank you all for, for joining us. If you're a guest here today, we're glad to have you with us. My name is Aaron Glover. I'm the pastor here at FBC, and we're so thankful that you decided to come worship with us an extra hour early this week. You know, today it's kind of funny. We're, we're going to be talking about rest. I didn't plan on doing this this way, but I thought it was hilarious that, that God had me speak on rest on the day that we all lose an hour of sleep. So kind of, a, you know, just God's little humor. But I heard something funny the other day. It was, it was online and said, you know, Baptists should be exempt from daylight savings times because we did it last year and once saved, always saved, right? So we shouldn't have to do daylight savings every year. No, anyways, um, but let's talk about rest a little bit. Today's a great day for this. So does anybody in here right now feel like they could use some extra rest? I know I could. Everybody in, everybody in here is raising their hand. Does anyone in here ever feel overworked, stressed out, or underrested? I think we can all agree with that. Let me ask you this. What would you give to have everything in the world just press pause for one day or maybe even just a few hours? Everything pause. I mean, the kids, the responsibilities, Everything in the world, just press pause so you could just rest and relax for a few hours, maybe a day. That sounds like paradise, right? We could all use that. And, you know, in theory, rest sounds like a really good thing. We all know rest sounds like a great idea, but we're really bad at putting it into practice, aren't we? And if you want proof of that, just look at your schedules every week. You have way too much stuff going on. You have something planned every single day. You got all these responsibilities. You got this, this, and that going on. Got to be here, then got to be there. Got to do this. Make sure you don't forget about this, 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 and this. Our schedules are just jam-packed with all these appointments and things we have going on. And many of us, myself included, are bad about, we don't schedule rest in there somewhere. It's something that we all know we need, and yet we don't make room for it in our schedules. We need rest, but we're restless. And this is a bad thing for us because we're finite beings. Us humans, we're very limited, aren't we? We're, we're limited in our energy every single day. We're limited in our capacity, in our brain capacity. We're limited in our process. We start the day with a good amount of energy, and as the day goes on, we kind of go down, go down, and how do we fix this? How do we fix this? Do we, do we fix our low energies and our low levels by doing more? No, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? You wouldn't go run a marathon if you haven't slept in 24 hours. If you stay up all night, you don't prepare for a marathon by staying up all night and then showing up having not slept or eaten the right foods and think you're going to go run your race. Same thing, you wouldn't cram for a test all night, not sleep at all that night, and then go take the test. You're not going to do well. We need rest every single day. It's very important to us. And you know, you can go for a while without rest. You can go for quite a while, actually. But you won't be thriving. You'll just be surviving. You'll just be getting by. What's interesting about all this physical rest is this is actually just a metaphor for the true spiritual rest 
that God offers to each and every one of us. It's a symbol for God's spiritual rest. A promise that he gave to Abraham, that he fulfilled in Jesus, and that he offers us every single day. So today we're going to continue our series in Hebrews. Remember, we've been looking at this book for the past few weeks, and we've seen how Christ Jesus is better than everyone and everything. He's greater, he's superior, he's above everyone and everything. We've seen, we've learned a lot about him through all these different roles that he's fulfilled. If you remember back in the the beginning of the book, the author tells us that, you know, in the days of old, God spoke to us through, through the prophets in many different ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, He called him the son of God, the heir of all things. He's the creator of everything. He's the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. He's far superior to the angels. We saw he was superior to even Moses. He's our brother and our high priest. And he's the apostle and high priest of our confession. And then last week, we also took communion. We looked at a passage in Hebrews and connected those things in the Old Testament. When God instituted the Old Covenant, remember uh, Moses, after he told all the people, here's the covenant God has given you. They said, yes, we'll do all these things. And Moses instituted the covenant by taking some of the sacrificial blood, splattering half of it on the altar, and then sprinkling the other half on the people and the articles of worship. And we looked at how that old covenant points us to the new covenant in Jesus. And when Jesus inaugurated his new covenant, he also used a couple of symbols that we looked at last week. The bread representing his body, which was given for us, and the wine representing his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, purchasing for us an eternal redemption through his blood. So I want to follow those, that kind of thought this week. We're seeing these symbols in the scriptures. These things that, rep, they are something physical and literal, and they have meaning right there, but they represent something far deeper and far truer. And that's what we're going to see today as we talk about rest. So when we read the passage today and we talk about rest, we're not talking about physical rest, even though Whenever the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, they wandered for 40 years. They could use some good rest. And eventually, Joshua did take the children of Israel into the promised land, into the land of rest. But that physical truth represents a much deeper spiritual truth about God's rest. And that's what we're going to look at today. What I want us to remember before we begin reading this as well because we got quite a few verses to get into, is that this book, Hebrews, was written to Jewish Christians, but there would be unbelievers among them, just like we have in churches today. Churches are filled with believers, but we also know that there's people who aren't believers yet in our churches. So when we're speaking to believers, we also have to make sure that we're also teaching and calling forth unbelievers. And then also, we're sending believers and Christians out to share the gospel and the good news with unbelievers. And so after the author tells about how Jesus is superior to Moses, we talk about Moses for a little bit. Remember, Moses was faithful over God's house. 
He instituted the old covenant. And after telling about Jesus' superiority to Moses, there's a call for the readers to hear and believe and not to harden themselves like the Jews did in Moses' day. They're told not to rebel as the people did uh, in the wilderness. And in fact, what gets quoted is from Psalm 95:11. We'll talk about that in a minute, where it talks about how they won't enter into his rest, God's rest, because of their rebellion. And at the end, uh, chapter 3, verse 19, it says that we see that they, those Jews at that time, were unable to enter God's rest because of their unbelief. And as we read today, I want you to hear a few things. There's the, the promise of God's rest is still available today. That's what we're going to hear. We're going to see how God's rest is the state of being whenever God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. We're going to talk about that state of creation. We're going to see how God is still inviting people to enter that rest. We're going to see how those Old Testament references point us to Jesus. And then finally, we're going to see an urgency to call people to not harden themselves, but to hear the word of Christ and enter into that rest. Let's begin reading in Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter into that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. That's a quote from Psalm 95, 11. Although his works, God's, were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. It says, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. That's in Genesis 2.2. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words that have already been quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall away by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed of him to whom we must give account. Again, when we hear the word rest, 
We're thinking of relaxing, taking a nap, sitting back on the couch when we get home after Sunday and going to sleep while NASCARs may be on the TV for some of you guys. We know that this benefits us to rest and relax and renew, but this is not the type of rest that we're talking about here in this passage. The physical rest is a metaphor for spiritual rest. And to help us understand this, the writer goes back to creation when talking about God's rest. Most of us in here can recall the creation account. We may not be able to recall all the details on what God did every single day, but we know that God created the world in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Let me ask you this. On the seventh day, God rested. Was it because God was tired? No, God doesn't get tired. Was it because he was out of energy? No, God doesn't lose energy. Is it because God was just out of ideas and couldn't think of anything else? No, God made everything exactly the way he wanted it to be. In fact, he said, it's very good. Genesis 1.31. After he saw everything he made, he said it was very good. God rested because he wanted to. Because everything he saw that he created exactly the way he wanted he said, it's very good, and he enjoyed all that he had made. It pleased him, so he stopped and enjoyed his creation. I want to think about something real quick. It, it, maybe you recall this detail, maybe you don't. On the sixth day, God made what? Man. On the sixth day, God made man and gave him his calling, told him he was going to subdue the earth, rule over it, multiply, do all these things, what happens on the first full day of man's life, the next day? That's God's rest. It actually tells us in Genesis chapter 2, it says, Genesis 2, 3 says that God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, and he set it apart. When man was first created, our first full day in existence was in God's rest. We know from the scriptures that God didn't work on that day. And what we can infer from him blessing it and making it holy and setting it apart from the Genesis account, we can infer that Adam didn't work that first day either. God made man and put him in his rest. That first day with him, just enjoying creation, enjoying being together, this absolutely perfect paradise. Look at the conditions of this. All of creation ha has been made. There's God, man is alive with God in perfect fellowship. There's no sin. There's no curse. There's no death. It was very good. A perfect, peaceful paradise. That was exactly the way God intended for us to be with him. That was exactly what God wanted. He designed it that way. He created that way. And he enjoyed it that way. Funny thing is, is deep down, all of our souls long for this. That's why we're restless here on this earth. That's why people go so far to try to achieve all these things, to try to find things to fill the, the need and the wants and the holes that are deep in their heart because we know something is off and something's not right. So we're constantly pursuing that satisfaction and that enjoyment we're going after. We're trying to find it in the world and stuff and things and cars and money and accomplishments and all of these things. We think that's where it's found, and we don't realize that our true joy 
how our hearts and souls were created to be was at peace with God. Returning to that peace is the only way we'll ever be satisfied. And getting that peace can only come through Christ Jesus. And the other thing about it, whenever God did this, he didn't rest for his sake. We've already said he didn't need to rest. He wasn't tired. He wasn't out of ideas. He wanted to rest. And he did it for us. God knows all things. He always has. He always will. God knew that sin was coming into this world. He knew the curse that was coming. He knew the death that was coming. He knew the promise that was coming. So whenever he rested on that Sabbath day, yeah, he did it for his own enjoyment, but he also did it for our sakes. If you remember a story in the Gospels, Jesus and his disciples are going along on a Sabbath day, and his disciples start picking some some grain, right? And the Pharisees see this, and they start accusing and saying, why do your disciples pick grain on the Sabbath? That's not lawful. You can't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus tells them, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. They didn't, the Pharisees didn't understand what the Sabbath was all about. They didn't understand why God even gave them a Sabbath in the first place. They thought the Sabbath was given so they could follow a bunch of rules about not working. They didn't understand that God gave us this Sabbath rest. He set this day apart and made it holy so that throughout all generations we would look back at the original state of things. When we rest today, we should be looking back to the day that God rested and thinking about what was creation like. It was God enjoying all things that were very good us with him him with us just enjoying his perfect creation sabbath rest should always point us back to the original way that god made us to be the life god always intended for us and yet we turned it into following a bunch of rules doing a bunch of things to prove how devoted we were to god we didn't even understand why he gave it to us This rest should always point us back to that peace that we had, the joy in his created order and fellowship with him. So when we look at this, we're looking at returning to that glorious state of being. And this is what God had promised to the Jews. It's what he promised through Abraham. And then he told through Moses. And all they had to do was believe God's word. All they had to do was receive it and believe God's word. And he would have let them enter into that rest. He would have let them go right into the land of Canaan and taken it the way they should have, given them all the promised land that was theirs that he fully intended to. But what happened? They rejected God's word. They rejected his way. And so God made them wander in the wilderness for decade after decade after decade after decade, 40 years wandering. And what the psalm that was quoted from Psalm 9511 comes from David where God says that those, that generation in the wilderness, they provoked me in my anger. They wouldn't believe me. They were disobedient. And so I swore in my wrath they would not enter my rest. Because they refused to believe God's promises, because they refused to believe his words, God said, you're not going to enter my rest. I've delivered you out of slavery. I've done miracle after miracle. I've given you all of these things that you didn't earn. You don't deserve nothing. It says nothing to do with you. But yet whenever I tell you something, you reject it because you don't like it. It's not your way. 
God said, they won't enter my rest. They won't go into the land of Canaan and take the promised land that I've given them. That's why whenever we see this, that this promise to enter God's rest thankfully still stands today. And it came not through Joshua, not through Moses, not through David, not through anyone else. Even though we see all of these Savior archetypes throughout the Scriptures, it only comes through Christ Jesus. The Sabbath only comes through Jesus. And because of Him, we get to enter back into that complete state of peace with God. We get to trust in His promises. We get to trust in the works of Christ. We get to rest in that life that he intended for us to have. Us and him perfectly in fellowship. And how do we obtain this? How do we achieve it? The same way we've been saying week after week after week. You heard it just a few moments ago in the passage. They were unable to enter because of their disbelief. All they had to do was receive God's word and believe it. And that's the same for us today. We enter by faith in Christ. Remember, the opening verse of Hebrews tells us that God had spoken to us in many ways through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And the words that Christ Jesus has spoken to us, that he told us, if we receive his words and believe them, then by faith we get to enter into God's rest Those who don't listen, those who refuse, who harden their hearts against him, will suffer just like the Jews in the wilderness. They'll die in their wanderings, never entering into God's rest. And there's no deceiving God. And that's bad news for a lot of folks because a lot of people think they're going to squirrel their way into heaven one day or they're going to show up on judgment day and be able to try to convince God they did enough stuff for them to be led into heaven. And that's just not the case. Because this passage we read right here, it says the word of God is living and active. What he's talking about is these words that we have received through Christ, the words that Christ has given us and called to repentance, you can't deceive God. You can't deceive him because his word is living and active. It's sharper than any sword. It pierces straight into your heart and divides the deepest, darkest, most intimate parts of your soul. Which is why we don't just receive Christ's words and say, okay, yeah, I believe it. But we receive it in our hearts and live by it. It goes right down into the core of our very soul. And God can't be deceived. He knows who actually believes in him, who has received him, and who's just paying lip service to him. Who's just putting on a show for him who's just putting on a show for everybody else. God cannot be fooled. He knows exactly the deepest thoughts and feelings and intentions of your heart. Which is why everything always goes down to belief in the depths of your soul. Those things that take hold in the root will produce a fruit in your life. But it's not all about these external things. If it's not a change from the heart, It's not a change at all. And that's why the author warns us and tells us that don't harden your hearts against this. Because you see, the same good news that you believe and receive, 
that frees you, that brings you into God's rest, if you deny it, will leave you to wander in the wilderness and to your death forever, in eternal death. We've heard it said that the same sun that melts the wax, that softens the wax, hardens the clay. What that means is the same good news and gospel who goes to the one who receives it becomes eternal life. But the one who hears the gospel, the good news of Christ, and rejects it and hardens themselves against them, it's death for them. Because they've hardened themselves and rejected God's word. You can't deceive God. And so we need to stop trying to please God with all of our quote-unquote self-righteous works. As Romans 10 said, it says they were zealous for God but without knowledge. And zeal for God without knowledge, without the true knowledge of God, which comes through Christ Jesus, is death. You can be zealous all you want, but without the truth, you'll get nowhere with it. But the good news is that the opportunity is still here. You notice that he said another Sabbath still exists for God's people, and that is today. This, to this very day, God is still calling people to enter into his rest. And if you have never entered into that rest, the good news is that you can enter into that today. If you've never believed and fully received the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins by his blood and nothing of your own doing, all you have to do is receive and believe that today to enter his rest. But if you have already received that rest, this is more good news for us because we should just be able to live in and enjoy that rest. To understand that we have ceased from all of our striving and ceased from all of our works the same way that God has. Whenever you talk about it, for the believer, they say, are you at peace with God? Every single believer ought to understand, yes, I am at perfect peace with Almighty God. Because of Christ Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of his blood, I am forever at perfect peace with my Lord. That's the gift that we've been offered. That's the promise that God has brought to us through his son. And as we hear these words, we can either receive them and believe them, enter into his rest, or we can reject them and harden ourselves against him and say, no thanks, God, I'll do it my way. I'm good enough on my own. Or, no, Jesus, you didn't quite do it. I need to add to what you did. That's really what rejecting the gospel is. Sometimes you think it's a complete rejection of who Jesus was. No, sometimes rejecting the gospel is, simp is as simple as you saying, thanks, Jesus, you did a lot. Now I'm going to add to it. That's a rejection of the gospel, too. Either Jesus did it all or he didn't. And if Jesus has done it all, there's nothing left for you to do. Either Jesus paid it all or Jesus paid it mostly. And to think that Jesus only paid most of it is to reject the gospel. That's why whenever we say that we believe in Christ alone, 
We're not just saying Christ alone as far as there's no other deities, no other gods, but Christ alone as in he don't need my help. That Jesus has paid it all. When you hear his words, receive them and enter into his rest. Don't harden yourself and be left out in the wilderness. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we've come here on on this day, on Sunday, that's normally a Sabbath for, for most people, God. And sadly, a lot of times, most of us, we've either never known what that means or we've forgotten what it means. We've made it all about showing up to a place and putting on the right clothes and saying the right things and having the right attitude and shaking the right hands and saying all those things. Which that has nothing to do with what you intended rest to be about. That has nothing to do with a Sabbath. God, I pray that you would convict us what this is all about, what rest is truly about. It's about returning to the original state of your creation. The way the God of the universe made everything. The way he made us. And the relationship that we once had with you. God, I pray that you would show us that that's what this Sabbath rest is all about. That's what all rest is about. Going back to being us with you and you with us. And not just knowing that fact, but enjoying that, God. I pray that every one of our hearts would get into that place, enter into that rest. And as you said, I pray that we would say, it is very good. God, I pray for every person in here. I pray that every single person in this room understands your gospel, your good news, your truth that came through your son Jesus I pray that we receive his words that we receive them as the truth of God because that's exactly what they are everything that your son told us in his life we say yes and amen those are the words of God and I will stake my very soul on them I pray that no one in this room would harden themselves against his words or reject them. God, I pray that everyone in here, that our eyes would always be constantly fixed on Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray for anyone who has never known him in that way, that today, Lord, your Holy Spirit would move through this room right now and invite them to enter into your rest, God. They don't need to do anything, accomplish anything, prove anything. All they need to do is receive your son Jesus today. And God, I pray for those of us who do know your son as Lord and Savior. I pray that you would renew our minds to understand and enjoy the rest you created us for. To walk in that, to enjoy it to do great things in it in the way you created us to be, God. 
We look forward to the day that you're going to restore and renew all of your creation because one day all of this will pass away. The old earth, the old heavens will all be passed away and behold, a new heaven and a new earth will come down from heaven where you will dwell with us eternally. And God, in that day, we will enter into your rest in a way we never knew on this earth. But I pray right now that we would know we can enter your rest today. Help us in that, Lord. And then use us, God, to share the good news of your rest with everyone else. Help us take that message into the world and invite people into that relationship with you. I pray you do great things among us, Lord, all for the sake and the glory of the name of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.